Hey guys. Thank you. Yes, I am very glad to be back. I, I met Miss Rona. I can't recommend her. Um, but, oh yeah, we, yeah, had to go, you know, at the germs, it trap, traps germs, so, yeah, it's, it's good to be back, and let me just say that I am um, really uh, proud of our tech team that has, was, I was able to, you know, watch from home in my pajamas, uh, sipping some coffee, so all of you who have taken your life in your own hands and risked life coming this morning through the snow, you know, good job, uh, those of you watching from home in your pajamas, We'll wave at you from our mansions in heaven, I guess. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Like, I loved it. I loved it, okay? It was nice. It was nice. You know? I mean, we, it's like, casted it to my TV, and I was just, you know? Amen. Okay, so anyway. Um, <laughs> today, I want to talk to you about joy. Uh, let's, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. Um, that we are able uh, to gather. Um, God, thank you that we can engage with one another, be it in person or online, for the purpose of building each other up, Lord, encouraging one another to behold and rejoice in and delight in the Son of God. Lord, I just praise you, exalt your name um, for the opportunity that we have this morning to step outside of ourselves and to come alongside a brother and a sister and say, strengthen your knees. Don't be weak of heart. Be encouraged. Lord, breathe life and strength into weak knees today. In Jesus' name, amen. There is one overarching goal that all humanity has had since the beginning. No matter place or time or culture, all things, all people, all nature has a single purpose. The universe was created for one aim, one ultimate overarching aim. It was made with one thing in mind. The very design of all things intended towards one purpose, one ultimate reason to exist. And that thing is joy. That thing is joy. Happiness. Delight, life. I'm not going to distinguish between joy and happiness today because the Bible doesn't. Happy is the man, right? Delight, wonder, rejoicing in. You were not created, look at me, you were not created to die. You were created to live forever. You were not created to suffer. You were created to live forever with the Lord in this place called Eden. Remember that place? Garden of Eden? No suffering, no death, no sickness. It is the one overarching goal and tension of the entire cosmos, joy, vibrancy, well 
being. You were created to flourish. You were created to flourish. You were created to be a joyful, flourishing being. Abundant, wonderful, vibrant, illuminist being that you were created for. It's why death and suffering seems to us as such an assault on our existence, does it not? Despite the fact, y'all, that people have been dying and suffering ever since we have been alive, right? All of, all of known create history, all of written history, suffering and death has been a reality. Despite that fact, when we see, when you see suffering and death, it feels like an assault on your existence. It feels like things ought not be. It's why you feel robbed when someone close to you dies. Because something in your heart says this ought not be. Where do you get that? Where do you get that? People have been dying since day one. All we've ever known is an existence of suffering and yet inside of us, something feels deeply wrong when we see the dehumanization of creation. You know what I'm talking about? Dehumanizing behavior. Think, just think Auschwitz. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. When you see things like that, something inside you is repulsed because you say that thing, that being was not made for that. Wasn't made to suffer like that, to die like that. Where do we get that idea? If you think about it, that notion that is inescapable, that all men have, all women have, have had through all cultures and societies, right, only makes sense if the world has known a time without suffering and death. It's the only way it makes sense. It only makes sense if we were not created to suffer and die, but to flourish and live forever. And that is exactly what the Bible maintains. You were created to flourish and to live forever. The deeper truth of the universe is that we were created not to suffer and die, but to live and flourish and be joyful in that existence, right? Genesis makes this clear in the Garden of Eden, right? He intended man to live forever. Eden, y'all, the Garden of Eden represents not just perfection and abundance, right? It does. It's a garden overflowing with provisions and sustenance. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just represent that. It represents life that never dies. It represents eternality, right? And it was sin that we know brought death and sickness. And Ecclesiastes talks about eternity being written on our hearts. And I think it's trying to get at, it's pointing at this unshakable suspicion that something is profoundly wrong with the world as it is. And that we, in fact, were created for something far better than what we experience on a daily basis. That is what the Bible maintains. You were created for joy. And it's exactly what Jesus seemed to then and today is interested in restoring joy. Hang with me. Read some verses. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When the angels announced the proclamation of the birth of Jesus, they said, I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. John 16, 24, ask and you will receive that your 
joy may be full. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Even suffering can be redeemed for joy now in the light of the cross. 1 Peter 1, 8, though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. We're not talking about just like, a little bit of joy, joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. That's what you were created for. It's what God made you for, y'all. Hang with me. You were created for a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. How have we settled for less than this, right? First John 1, 4. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. This is my first premise. The intended purpose for all things, the reason for all things, all things, y'all, nature, landscape, heavens, all creatures, humanity with all its complexities and internal longings, all those things you have inside of you, food, the longing for food, all of your instincts, all of your appetites, food, sex, rest, recreation, fresh air, travel, work, all of those things God made for joy, your joy and the fact that he created and he is most glorified when we are most satisfied in, the thing, in himself and in the things that he's created. We, as Christians, have the liberty to enjoy creation at a level so far deeper than non-Christians. Right? We can have that nice rare steak, huh? that nice filet mignon right next to it, and allow our praise to go past the object to the creator of the object. Our delight of creation gets to culminate to the creator. We don't sit at the ocean and say, well, that's beautiful. Don't know what to do with it. No, we sit at the ocean and say, it's gorgeous and it reflects the creator. We can enjoy life to such a deeper extent than those that don't believe. Because behind every breeze, behind every mountain landscape, behind every sunset, we know the traces of the creator. They are literally singing his praises. So says the psalmist. That's why we read Psalm 143, I think it was earlier. All creatures, all heavens, all mountains, all clouds, winds, praise him. It says the heavens are declaring the glory of God. And we get to gaze into the heavens and allow it to let praise flow through our being up into the creator, right? It's the intended purpose for all things, joy. He made us for an overflowing life of deep and profound joy. Blaise Pascal wrote this. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attending with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object, happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So old BP knew that we all seek happiness. In fact, he knew that it is the created internal ordering of humanity, but he points something out to us that's a crux in our conversation today. 
that we all seek that happiness by different means. We all employ different tools to achieve our happiness. Some think if I go to war and if I endure the suffering and pain and violence of war, that will establish for me and my people joy and happiness in the long run. And others say, you're an idiot. I don't want to go to violence and war. I'm a pacifist, okay? And that's the way. What's the internal motivation of both? Happiness, joy, peace, establishment, flourishing. One says we've got to do this to get that. And the other says, no, we don't. See, we all want behind every action, behind every word, behind every intention, we're seeking something. And Blaise Pascal says, well, what you're seeking is happiness. You're seeking joy. And I would argue that this is affirming of what the Bible puts forth, that we were in fact created for joy. And he says, even those who take their own life, which is a very interesting thought, right? Um, Even those who take their own life in some way believe, some dark way, believe that them not existing will make others and maybe themselves better off, right? Very interesting. So you are here, you're in this room right now, because in some way you believe that by your being here, by your tuning in, by your engaging, either in the short or the long, at some level, joy will come from this engagement. Fullness of life, health, flourishing. We all seek joy, y'all, Christian or not. No matter what race, ethnicity, political persuasion, time in history, you want joy, you want health, you want longevity of life. Look at me, own it, own it. See, sometimes as Christians, we can take this, no, I don't want, I don't want happiness, I want obedience, right? And we kind of have this very stoic, and I'm gonna get there, just hang with me. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You're a narcissist up there. Seek your happiness, seek joy. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you to do. I'm just telling you to seek it in God. We haven't got there yet, but yeah. At this point, you might say, wait, right? That's what I'm getting to. Don't Christians think that the glory of God's the point, right? Or preaching the gospel, or living for others, or eternal redemption, or, or you know, salvation. Isn't, isn't that why we were created? Isn't that the point? Like when you say, Chris, that my joy is the point of the universe, doesn't that make us all narcissist? Like when we pursue happiness, doesn't that make us vain, selfish, self-seeking, self-centered people? Shouldn't we be seeking like other people's joy? Isn't that a little more Christian? Or, or obedience, and here's the crux, right? We're all, if, we're all hired to, if we're all wired to seek our joy, the great question we have to answer today is how does one get joy? What do you believe brings joy? And this is where I want the conversation to turn a little bit. See, when what you believe brings and establishes joy, the method that you get it in your life. Are we talking? The method that you get joy. How do you get it, y'all? What do you do? What are your little self-medicating habits to establish a sense of peace and rest in your heart? The method that you think joy comes to men will define you as a person. It'll define you today and it'll define who you will become, all right? The, The means that you employ to get joy will decide whether or not your joy is a selfish, self-seeking, self-obsessed, narcissistic joy 
or a God-glorifying, life-giving, radiant, selfless joy. All right? I'd argue that the way you pursue your own joy is the greatest determining factor of who you will be as a person. Or you can say it this way. What you believe brings joy will in the end define your existence. If you believe, if you believe that money and wealth brings joy, now let's just stop for a second because we're in church and everyone hears that and says, oh no, money and wealth doesn't bring joy, but man, I love this new iPad. (laughs) We all believe that, y'all. Come on. Huh? Don't get that bigger house. Don't tell me you don't spend time on Zillow. Right? So some people do as their faith. I gave up social media. Now I just pick up Zillow when I'm scrolling out, you know? <laughs> right? If you believe that wealth and possessions and amassing more, and really what that root is, is really having more than the next guy a lot of times, right? If you, if you believe that, brings and establishes the most joy, then you are a materialist. That's what your joy has defined you as. You are a materialist, probably a shopaholic and probably in debt. (laughs) If you believe sexual pleasure brings and sustains the highest joy that can be achieved in this life, then you're probably a sex addict. If you believe Praise and acceptance and being well thought of brings and sustains the most satisfaction in life, then you are a people pleaser. See, your joy defines you. Brian Smith has a book, I think it's Brian Smith, K.A. Smith, You Are What You Love. I could be the wrong author, I'm not sure. But the idea he's getting at is that the things that you love, the things that you delight in, you will by nature mimic because you think it's beautiful. So if you think bravery is beautiful, you want to be brave. If you think being (laughs) malnourished and thin is beautiful, then you want to be malnourished and thin, right? If you think selflessness is a beautiful, admirable thing, then you want to do that. Right? So there's a big conversation in what discipleship and sanctification, what's the motivation of all that? How does that actually happen? Well, what you think is beautiful, you will be a disciple of. You think entertainment and fame and glory is beautiful, then man, you get on that reality TV show, you know? But there's a great truth here. If you believe Jesus brings and establishes the most joy that can be experienced in this life, then you are a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Christianity isn't the knowledge of truth. It is the love of truth. It is the ability to delight in truth. The demons know the truth, y'all. But they ain't saved. You know why? Because they can't delight in the truth. The truth to them is an abominable horror. And for those of us who have, through the cross, learned to delight in the truth of God, well, then we're Christians. What's the first and greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Look up love. Look up the word adore. Have affections for, respect Regard as admirable, regard as worthy, to delight in, to rejoice in. See, there's another architectural 
undergirding to the union. Don't you love this language? I love this language. You don't love this language, but I love it. There's another architectural, architectural undergirding to the universe. There's a deeper structure built into the cosmos that unlocks the flourishing of joy, and it's this. It's when creation acknowledges the creator as all-powerful, all-beautiful, the all-beautiful being that he must be from creating creation, and in Christ we know all-merciful being he is. See, the deeper truth of the cosmos is that the joy that you were created to enjoy and live in will only be experienced when Jesus is on the throne of your heart. It's the deeper truth of Christianity. There's a fundamental truth. There is one throne. There is a throne. There is a throne. And there is room for only one on the throne. And that is true in the internal reality of your heart and mind, and that is true cosmically. What I'm trying to tell you is, is you were created for joy. You were created for flourishing, and you will only ever know and experience that joy when Christ is seated in the throne of your heart, when he alone is uppermost in your affections, when he is enthroned in the highest places, right? When he is king, when his rule is made manifest by you yielding to his wisdom at every step of the way, your joy will be made full. It is the joy that you were created to have, the joy that you were created to enjoy. When you believe that true joy can only be found under the loving, liberating rule of Jesus, then you're a Christian. So if you say, okay, well, love joy. <laughs> Who doesn't want joy? Love happiness, I'll take that. I go to church, I'm a Christian, but joy eludes me. Just, when I think of joy, Chris, love the great, sounds good. When I think of joy, I think of myself grasping onto a handful of sand. And it seems like the harder I grasp at it, the more the sand just dribbles out from beneath my my hands, right? Just leaks out from the sides. That's what joy feels like to me. I feel, you know, sometimes I honestly feel barred out of joy. I feel like joy is for some of those other people, but not for me. My experience, my existence, my loneliness, my circumstances, they have overwhelmed my ability to live a joyful life, right? Well, I, I feel you. I can, I can get there. And can I just suggest to you that the reason the reason joy may be eluding you in the inside, like authentic, robust happiness, the reason it may be eluding is because there is an ever-raging battle going on inside you and me, and it's a battle for the throne. It's a battle on this side between your own wisdom, your intellect, your experience, Right? And then on this side, the wisdom of God, his love, and his promises, right? And the number one substitute on the throne, the imposter that usurps the highest place of worship and affection in your heart is not idols. It's not wealth. It's not popularity. It's you. You are the number one usurper of the throne of your heart. It's me and you. We are the ones that like to and reckon to decide for ourselves what brings lasting joy. And the consequence of you being seated on the throne of your heart and life is idolatry. Not, not, not necessarily that you're the idol, but then you start looking for other things. You think this brings me joy. I will decide what brings me joy. 
And it's this, and it's that, and it's that. And those are the idols that then pop up. But the problem is not the idolatry. The problem is that you're on the throne. That's the problem. Idolatry is a, is a consequence of usurping the throne of your heart and your life, right? And like a steward, think like Lord of the Rings, right? Like a steward who has been entrusted with a kingdom, who begins to think that the kingdom is his own, like the king of, the guy of Gondor, what's his name? Anyone? There you go. Okay. I didn't even hear you, but I think you're right. I'm sure you're right. And the third one, remember? He's the king and he, he's the steward and he begins to run the king. Just like that. So we take the wheel of our own heart and life. We take it up. We start calling the shots. We take the wheel. As Christians, we replace the sovereignty of God with the sovereignty of self. Let me read you a book. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read you a portion from Eugene Peterson's Eat This Book. The new holy trinity, the sovereign self, that's the new trinity he's talking about, expresses itself in holy needs, holy wants, and holy feelings. So instead of Father, Son, and Spirit, he says the new trinity is your needs, wants, and feelings. And that's, he's saying, he's going to say it. I'm just going to let him say it. But that is what he's saying you are bowing before. The time and intelligence that our ancestors spent on understanding the sovereignty revealed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are directed by our contemporaries in affirming and validating the sovereignty of our needs, wants, and feelings. My needs are non-negotiable. My so-called rights, defined individually, are fundamental to my identity. My need for fulfillment for expression, for affirmation, for sexual satisfaction, for respect, my need to get my own way, all these provide a foundation to the centrality of me. Consumption and acquisition are the new fruits of the Spirit. You're going to bite. You're going to bite. Hold on. Just hang, hang tight. My feelings are the truth of who I am. And anything or person who can provide me with ecstasy, excitement, joy, stimulus, spiritual connection validates my sovereignty. This, of course, involves employing quite a large cast of therapists, travel agents, gadgets, machines, recreations, and entertainments to cast out the devils of boredom or loss or discontent, all the feelings that undermine and challenge my self-sovereignty. In the last 200 years, a huge literature, both scholarly and popular, has developed around the understanding of this new holy trinity of needs, wants, and feelings that make up the sovereignty of ourself. It amounts to an immense output of learning. Our new classes of spiritual masters is composed of scientists and, economic, and economists, physicians and psychologists, educators in politics, writers and artists. They are every bit as intelligent and passionate as our earlier church theologians and every bit as religious and serious, for they know that what they come up with has enormous implications for everyday living. The studies they conduct and the instructions they provide in the service of the God, that is, our needs, wants, and feelings are confidently pursued and very convincing. It is very hard not to be convinced with all these experts giving their witness under their tutelage, I became quite sure that I am the authoritative text for living my life. But this rival sovereignty is so couched in spiritual language 
And we are so easily convinced of our own spiritual sovereignty that it does catch our attention. These new spiritual masters assure us that our spiritual needs are included in this new trinity. Our need for meaning and transcendence and wanting a larger life, our feelings for spiritual significance. Of course, there's plenty of space to make room for God, as much or as little as you like. The new trinity doesn't get rid of God or the Bible. It merely puts them into the service of my needs, wants, and feelings. Drop the mic, man. Just walk away. Which is fine with us. But we've been trained all our lives to treat everyone and everything this way. It goes with the territory. It's the prerogative of sovereignty. I'm just going to read just a little bit more because it's so good. What has become devastatingly clear in our day is that the core reality of the Christian community, the sovereignty of God, revealing himself in three persons, is contested and undermined by virtually everything we learn in our schooling, everything presented to us in media, workplace, political, all are directed uh, as experts to the assurance of our own sovereignty. Okay? These voices seem so perfectly tuned to us, so authoritatively expressed and custom designed to show us how to live out the sovereign self that we are hardly aware that we have traded the Holy Trinity for the Holy Self. Don't we still attend Bible studies and read our assigned verses and chapters each day? As we are relentlessly encouraged to consult our needs and dreams and preferences, we hardly notice the shift from what we have so long professed. The brunt reality is that for all our sophistication and learning and self-study, we do not know how to run our own lives. And that's what he's getting at, right? This substitution of the sovereignty and the kingship of God with our own sovereignty and kingship. And the connection that I'm trying to make for you today, the things that I want you to see is that your joy will be inexplicably tied to whoever is sitting on the throne of your heart and life. If you are sitting on the throne of your heart and life, your joy, no matter how you try to pursue it, no matter what great extents you go to achieve it, your joy will feel like dirt in your mouth because there is one well that you were made to drink from and there is one bread that you were made to eat and his name is Jesus. And it's only when he takes the throne, I'm not talking about cosmically, I'm talking about inside your own heart. It's only when he takes the throne you begin to drink of that water and eat of that bread? And guess what the consequence is? Eternal life. Life that has no horizon. Life so full that it bubbles up and flows over. Guess what that's called? Joy. It's what he's after. It's what he wants for us. Brothers, sisters, where is your joy? Have the news lines have this path, is the shadow of all the things going on so deep and dark that the love of God has no light against it? Where's your joy? Where has it leaked out? See, now when we read something like Eugene Peterson's bit, right? A lot of us might say, like maybe the more stoic and disciplined among us might give a hearty amen and go on to think that the cessation of desire the cessation of delight is the answer, right? 
Because if, if it's my, we, my feelings and my wants, and those are the things that are ruining things, well, if I can just stop my feeling, stop my emotions, stop my joy, and that's a, that's a, a very healthy mentality amongst Christians, right? You guys are the guys that go around killing other people's joy, right? You're like, you can't do that. You can't enjoy that, right? Isn't is that not a Christian thing? That that's the, so, so often we think, well, okay, well, the answer must be I got to cauterize my joy sensor so that I can be a Christian, right? We talking? We just numb it off, and I guess I'm just not going to be a joyful person anymore because now I'm a Christian. I got to do all the Christian things, right? That, we're going to be tempted to think that. We stop seeking happiness. Can I just tell you, tell you right now, that sounds more like Buddhism than Christianity. Let me explain this to you. Buddhist has four noble truths. One, life is suffering. Two, we suffer because we desire. Three, to end suffering, end desire. And then the fourth one is not a fourth one. It's now followed this eightfold path. If you know, it's interesting. How I did that. So Buddhists are the ones that say life is suffering. The reason we suffer is because we desire, we feel, we have emotions. So the way we, to peace is to cauterize joy, cauterize emotions, and then you'll end suffering because it's your desire. Okay. What I'm trying to tell you is Christianity doesn't say stop seeking happiness. It says seek it more in God. Seek your joy more in God. That's what Christianity. Christianity isn't the ending of desire, y'all. It is the awakening of desire. Lewis in The Weight of Glory says this, then we'll, we'll wrap it up. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that the desire, that to desire your own good and earnestly hope for the enjoyment of that thing is a bad thing. Is that, that, is that weird? Did I say that weird? Can I say it again? Should I say it again? I should say it again. Okay. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the, for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Lewis is saying the problem isn't that you seek too much joy. It's that you are satisfied with too little. That's the problem. You are satisfied with lesser, unsubstantial, temporal means of securing and establishing your joy. And the connection I'm trying to make is you are created for joy. Own it. Don't be ashamed of it. Pursue joy. And that you will only ever achieve the kind of joy that you really long for when Christ is seated on the throne of your heart and affections. You are created for it. And it is only the glory of God that can unleash the unending kind of joy that God wants you to enjoy, right? Westminster Catechism, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God, and John Piper says, by enjoying him forever. The deeper created order of the universe is that the only well of water there is, the only bread of life there is, is Christ himself. And true happiness is joy is only found in his sustaining word. It is the opening of joy, right? 
the ability to fully enjoy all of creation, now realizing that all creation is a reflection of and points to the glory of our creator, right? Only when we yield to the throne of the one worthy of sitting on it can we know the kind of joy we were created to do, right? And until you know Jesus, until you personally know Jesus as enthroned on high, as Lord and King, then you do not know him as he has revealed himself to be, right? And you will be scraping the bottom of the barrel of lesser delights, dredging up dry wells looking for water when there's only dirt. When we usurp the throne, we become bored, distracted, purposeless, with no higher purpose than our own appetites. And it's what Paul was getting at when he said their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame and their minds are on earthly, temporal things. What can be said of all these things in closing? Christians are therefore to be the most joyful people that the earth has ever seen because they have tethered their hearts to the one being in whose presence is fullness of joy and in whose right hand is pleasure forevermore. Our joy as a Christian, should leave the world's joy in the dust. People should see us and say, why are you so happy? Didn't you just read the news? Why are you full of joy? Why is there a strong undercurrent to the trajectory of your life that seems to leave you cheerful? Why? Aren't you paying attention? You should be enraged, right? Isn't that the mantra of our day? You should be enraged. Yeah, so find, I mean, God, let me tell y'all, just real simple, break it down, right? Takeaway, smile. Just smile. It'll change the world, man. He's, there's a, there's a happy, is you happy? Smiling? I mean, in the most simple ways, can't a cheerful heart be revolutionary in our day and age. People should see us and say, what are you plugged into? That you are the way you are, right? Even if the world crumbles around you, right? You're tethered to the reality that his love remains, right? That the love of God and the glory of Christ unshakable in the cosmos, right? If you call yourself a Christian, I just want to encourage you today I really ask the question, where is your joy? Has it, has it leaked out, right? Are the headlines so bad that they overshadow and outshine God's undying love for you? Where's, where's the light in your eyes? Like, what has drained the joy of life? Are the shadows deeper and stronger than the light? Are they? Is that what you believe? The death and suffering will in the end win? That all is lost? Or do you believe that there is a light? It's a generous light, a bright light that pushes back the darkness that we can enjoy, that we can step into, that we can be ambassadors of. Is the shadow so strong? Is the suffering so bad that the light of Christ cannot shine its strength over us? Who or what 
is sitting on the throne of your life. I don't know where you're at. My heart today, I need, I need, I need to do what David did today, you know? Why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul. Put your hope in God. I'm just going to ask you some questions as we leave today. What or who is clamoring at your side to be enthroned? The throne of your heart. Think about like if you have kids, right? If you have kids. My kids clamor at my side. Ugh. You know what I'm talking about? It's like claw at your side. <laughs> What is, what is clawing at your side right now, saying, put me on the throne? I will, I'll bring you joy. Right here, I'll bring you joy. You know me. Put me up there, I'll bring you joy, right? What is at your side clawing to usurp the throne, promising what delight, what lesser pleasure is screaming in your ear, put me on the throne? Is there a relationship in your life that you are unrealistically expecting to bring and sustain joy? Is it buying that thing, being in control of this situation or that? Is that what it is? It's clamoring at your side? You need to be in control. No one's as smart as you. You need to fix everybody else. And maybe the relevant question that we need to ask ourselves, if we're honest, if we can ask ourselves questions such as this in church, who do you really think is smarter, you or God? At the root of this entire conversation, of, of the conversation of who's enthroned, who calls the shots, who's king, at the root of that question is who do you think is smarter? If God is really the most smartest beautiful, merciful being in the universe, then it is not hard to put him on the throne. But if you are smarter, then of course, you'll maintain the throne of your life. If you are smart, if you know what really brings joy, if you're calling those shots and not allowing the Lord to assert his wisdom over what brings you joy, right? You've usurped the throne. In the end, of course you're going to maintain the throne, right? In the end, either Jesus is king or you are king. And I would argue one of the ways we find out who is on the throne is by the level of joy in your life. A deep happiness that is unthreatened by mere circumstance or mood. C.S. Lewis again says this, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without the self-choice, there would be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is open. The flourishing of your joy rests upon who sits on the throne. If it's you, then the things that you pursue for joy will turn to dust in your mouth. If it's God, then your joy will go on into eternity glorifying him. Let's stand and pray.